Our theme for the month of December has been celebrating and remembering the real meaning of Christmas that God became flesh. Amen. That this miracle that God became flesh, that our great um, infinite God became a finite man. And this is, we've seen, the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. That our eternal God would take on human nature as Jesus of Nazareth. This is what theologians call the incarnation. Remember we talked about that comes from the Latin root word meaning to take on flesh. And we've seen that the incarnation means a variety of things for us. That Jesus is one person with two natures, both divine and human. That Jesus emptied himself. He subjected himself to human limitations, yet he remained sinless. We've seen that Jesus is the one and only mediator between God and man because he is both God and man. And that Jesus, as God in the flesh, radiates the full glory of God's light, the fullness of God Most High. God Most High is a a title for our Lord we're going to hear about this morning. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38 this morning, where we hear this idea of, of God as Most High. You can go ahead and turn there. It's page 855 if you're using one of those blue hardback Bibles. We'd love for you to follow along with us this morning. This term is not new to Luke. The idea of God as most high is something that has deep meaning in the Old Covenant. Um, It first occurs in Genesis, but it's used throughout the Old Testament. It's usually a translation in the Old Testament of the Hebrew uh, name for God, Elyon, God Most High. For instance, Psalm 47 says that the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. See, God is the most powerful, the most exalted. He is the most worthy to be praised and feared and worshipped and followed. And Jesus, the Most High became low. In Jesus, the Most High became low. He is the Son of the Most High. That's what we're going to see about this morning in our passage and this profound miracle that God Most High came low. But it was all possible, Christmas and this this deep, meaningful concept and the personal salvation that it is for us is all possible because of, of a young, brave, obedient woman named Mary. When you think of the Christmas story, and you think of the manger and the star and the shepherds, and and most nativity scenes have Mary right there in the middle where she should be. She is, for all purposes, the central character in our passage this morning in Luke 1. This young peasant girl from this town of Nazareth, an insignificant town in Israel, we'll read in the region of Galilee in the north, and she is betrothed to this man named Joseph. Now, betrothal in the culture was kind of like a midway point between engagement and marriage. It was legally binding, but the marriage had not yet been signed, sealed, and delivered. But, but Joseph and Mary are bound to one another. Now, Mary, from what we know of the culture of the time, likely would have still been in her teens. Young women would have married early. It's likely that Joseph was older. Probably this was an arranged marriage that their families had, had arranged, but they, they likely would have given consent, and they likely, based upon what we read here, were looking forward to the wedding. And Joseph, as we'll find out in a minute, has some impressive family lineage going way, way back, but, but in the day-to-day, he's just a, a poor peasant carpenter from the poor town of Nazareth. And Joseph and Mary would have in all likelihood, apart from what we're about to read, would have lived a very normal, very unimpressive life. But that's all about to change with this visit that Mary's going to have in Luke 1, 
26. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll dive in to the Word of God this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the Word of God, the testimony of God, the grace of God that has for generations been handed down to us faithfully through your Word, faithfully through men and women, through parents and grandparents that have gone before us. And now, even as it's proclaimed through the mouths of our children, we turn to your word and ask now that your spirit would be present among us, that he would open our eyes, open our hearts to hear from you. That regardless of how we walked in this morning, that we would hear your voice, that we would hear and know of your love and your grace for us. We thank you for this godly woman, Mary, and the testimony that we have recorded for us. Be present now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this angel, this warrior, this being of light, this messenger is sent on a mission to the town of of Nazareth, would have been a small rural town in the district of Galilee. Now prior to this in Luke's gospel, he's just recorded how another angel appeared to a man named Zechariah. Zechariah was the husband of of Mary's cousin Elizabeth to tell Elizabeth that she would be pregnant by the hand of God and her son would be the forerunner of the Messiah. We heard that this morning in the opening Advent reading. And so this passage takes place six months later as the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and he greets her joyfully and calls her highly favored. You can also translate that as, as one who's been given kindness, been given grace. He says to you, you are favored by God, the Lord is with you. Now, but you see in verse 29 that rather than be encouraged by this, Mary's not quite sure how to take it. In fact, she's troubled. She doesn't understand why an angel would come to her and give her this kind of greeting. Remember, angels are these supernatural beings, warriors of light, and often they invoke fear when they appear on earth. And Mary, who's this poor, unpretentious, young, unmarried woman... In the culture, it's is, is kind of the bottom of the totem pole. Why is an angel coming to me? She's probably thinking, why am I favored by God? I'm not special. But the angel reiterates in verse 30, look, Mary, don't be afraid. I'm here because you've received the grace of God. 
Now, what does the, the favor of God, the grace of God mean? I have to confess that if an angel showed up to me and declared that I had received God's favor, I'd probably be thinking something along this line. That's, that's amazing. Like, I'm special. An angel has just come to me, right? This is great. Life is now going to be easy because now God has declared that I have his favor. I'm important. God's probably going to hook me up, right, with servants and footmen and like a personal chef. Like, I'm special, right? That's not what the favor of God means for Mary. Look at verse 31. Verse 31, we see that Mary has the favor of God, and that means she's going to give birth to a son. In fact, the son of God. See, God gives his divine favor to this lowly woman, not so she can sit back and coast and be served, but so that she can be empowered to step up and serve, and serve in the most difficult job of any woman under the sun. And she gives birth to the Son of the Most High. Look at verse 31. Look, look closer at who this Son will be that Mary will bring into the world. His name, we're told, will be Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua, or as we often just say, Joshua. And, and the meaning of the name is, the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. And so the angel tells Mary in verse 32, your son will be great. He's going to be called the son of the most high. And as I've said, this is a word and a title for God deep in Old Testament meaning. That God is the most powerful, the most exalted, the most, most worthy of, of praise. The one who is to be feared and worshipped and followed and obeyed. He is most high. And now this son that will come from the womb of Mary will be, will be son of the most high. The most high on earth. And in the culture, a grown son would carry the same authority, the same power as his father. And Jesus will grow and will be to us, the scriptures tell us, the exact imprint of the very nature of God on earth. God in the flesh. And the angel goes on to tell us in verse 32 that this son will inherit the throne of the great King David. That Jesus will reign over the people of Jacob. That's another, another name for the people of Israel, the covenant people of God. Now we read in verse 27 that Joseph is of the house of David. Not a coincidence that Jesus will inherit the throne of the great king of Israel, David. And while Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, he will be Jesus' father through adoption. See, God had made a covenant with David that one of his descendants would reign over God's kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And so the prophets and the people looked forward to the Messiah to come from the line of David. And according to the customs of the day, the child would be a legitimate member of the royal line of David through the right of adoption. And we're reminded in verse 33, this is no temporal, no earthly, no passing kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that this angel says the son will reign over is, is God's house forever. His kingdom will have no end. It's an eternal kingdom that begins now and goes on without end. Clearly this covenant, clearly the idea that a, a member of the line of David's house would inherit a throne and reign forever, clearly this, this king must be divine. It must be a divine Messiah. And so here we have this beautiful picture of God coming to this lowly woman to show divine favor. Again, not so she, she can sit back and, and be served, and not so she can sit back and, and find some exalted just place in heaven, but so that she can do something of both incredible difficulty and eternal worth. God chose Mary to bring our Savior into the world. Why? Why, why did he choose Mary? Why not royalty? Why not a princess? 
Why not the daughter of the Jewish high priest? Why not somebody of stature, somebody rich, or somebody powerful? See, look, this account and Mary's story shows us that our status before God, just as her status before God, is not dependent on who you are from the standpoint of the world. That your calling in the kingdom is not dependent on who you are before the world. It's dependent on, on one thing and one thing only, God's favor in your life. Mary did what she did, was called to what she was called to because God's divine sovereign grace came down on her. See, this Son of the Most High came in the flesh to the humble Mary because she had God's favor. And we see here very clearly that God's favor leads to God's calling. See, this God Most High is Most High. Most powerful, most exalted. And so he doesn't need to call the rich. He doesn't need to call the strong. He doesn't need to call the powerful because he is as rich and strong and powerful as any of us could be. And so he calls the lowly for his purposes. He calls the humble, the faithful, the obedient. He calls those that have the favor of God who humble themselves before God and who as a result are full of his grace, full of his love, full of his undeserved kindness See, just as Mary unexpectedly, unexpectedly, and I think quite shockingly from the standpoint of the story, just as she found God's grace and God's favor, so can you and I. And you hear this, and like Mary, I think her initial reaction was to think, well, this is too good to be true. Surely this angel has showed up to the wrong address, right? It must be a different house in Nazareth he's supposed to be at. But it is true. Friends, listen, you can know God, you can know his favor and his love and his grace in your life. That's, in fact, why the Son of the Most High came, so that you and I could find the favor of God, so that you and I could hear, just as Mary heard that day, the Lord is with you. You may not have walked in thinking or knowing or believing or experiencing the fact that the Lord is with you, but today you can walk out of here knowing that the Lord, the God Almighty, your Creator, is with you, is in you, has favor for you. You can know God's grace. You can know God's grace because this most high God came low. He became flesh. Jesus, as we just read, is Savior. That's what his name means. He is King, the King who reigns for all time. And so today he can save you out of whatever you're facing. He can reign in your life in power, in wisdom, in goodness. And look, I realize it's a week before Christmas, but but let me talk to you for a second. People here today are dealing with anxiety. Jesus can save you from that and he can reign over that. There are broken marriages in our community, and Jesus, by his grace, can save you out of that brokenness, and he can reign over the brokenness. Those that are struggling with addiction, with substance abuse, with reliance upon things, with with self-medicating, Jesus, through his grace, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can save you from that and can reign over that. Holiday stress. Some of you are not looking forward to the next week or two. You're not. It's stressful. There's financial strain. There's, there's family tension. You dread the holidays. You're full of grief. You're full of anxiety and stress. Listen, that, that's not like something unrelated to Christmas. That's, that's what Christmas is about. It's about a Savior who came and lived for you in perfect harmony with God in a way that you or I cannot do. A Savior that, that died on the cross for you. And here's what that means. It means that you and I, because of our brokenness, because of sin, because of our own active rebellion, and because of the fallenness of the world that's come upon us, we need a Savior. And so Jesus lived the life in perfect connection with God, and he died on the cross in our place. 
Because the only end point of this life on earth, apart from the grace of God, is ultimately death, both finite and infinite death. And so Jesus took that on the cross, and he rose from the dead. Rose from the dead three days later, that through the resurrection we could experience victory. And these issues and these problems that that I'm talking about this morning are not stuff I'm making up or reading the news about. These are things that you are going through, and I know that, because over the course of the last four, five, six weeks, you have come to me. And the things that I've mentioned this morning are things that people in our community are struggling with. And so, yes, Christmas is coming, and, and we need a Savior. We need one born for us because we do struggle, and we need, a, we need a Savior to rescue us, and we need a King to reign over us, to lead us into His peace and into His presence. And I have to tell you that if you have the favor of God like Mary, that means you too have a calling from God as Mary did. And while there was only one Mary... There was only one woman called to raise the Son of God. We each have a calling. We each have been given a a role, a responsibility in our life. That having the grace of God doesn't mean that then you kick back. It means that now you, you go into drive and you say, Lord, what do you have for me? What is your calling in my life? What is your calling even even this week, even as you look ahead to, to Christmas and presents and time off and celebration? What is the role and the responsibility that you have been given? Mary was called to raise the Son of God. I dare say that's not any of our callings, but we have our own children, many of us, to invest in, to pour in, to serve, to minister to, to be the mouthpiece of God, to to show the love of God. That's part of our, our calling if you're a parent. If you have the favor of God, you're called to bring the Son of God into the world wherever you go. That just as, as Mary had to give birth and raise and, and, and teach and train and present Jesus to the world, we too, now as his servants, as his disciples, part of our calling is to, is to represent Christ, to bring Christ with, with what we say, what we do, how we live, our neighbors, our family, those in need who also need the favor of God, who also need to be rescued, who also need the hope of a king that can reign over their mess, that can reign over their hurt and their pain. And so receive this morning the favor of God and know that that means the calling of God in your life. But let's look now and, and look at Mary's response. Jump down to verse 34 if you have it open in your Bible or on your phone. Because here we see that God's calling on Mary's life is, is empowered only by God's Spirit. Now verse 34, as Mary hears the announcement of the angel, she is, I think, quite understandably confused. She doesn't know how all this is, is going to happen. Right? This is quite a surprise for her. She's looking forward to getting married, to settling down, to one day having kids, but not today. Right? This pregnancy is a surprise. Now, I'm not, not going to ask for a show of hands because, you know, your kids are liable to have their feelings hurt. But how many of you know what it's like to have a surprise pregnancy? Right? Maybe not to the degree that, that Mary experienced here today. I, I realized that, uh, I, guess, I guess in reality... Well, that's not true. I do like surprises. I like surprises as long as I know ahead of time exactly what's going to happen. I don't mind a surprise, right? The other thing I don't like is, is not being in the know, you know, and being caught off guard by somebody who knew something before me. And so I kind of worked out an arrangement with my wife, you know, 22 years ago, when we, you know, or 20 years ago, I guess, when we decided to start having kids. I said, hey, look, I said, can you not take a pregnancy test without me? Like... 
you know, some of you maybe have wives that did something special and they surprised you or whatever. But I said, can we do that together? Like, can we find out together? And if I have to go, you know, if we have to do like five negative tests, whatever. So that's what we did. We would take the test together. We would find out together. And my wife was gracious enough to, to do that for me, right? But some of you, husbands, you came home from work and you're, you know, your wife was like, what is she smiling about, right? And she did something special for a, for a big reveal, but Mary has this surprise pregnancy, completely caught off guard. She's unmarried. She's single. She's a virgin. And so she asks in 34, uh, you know, wait a minute, Gabriel. How am I going to have a baby? I'm still a virgin. Now, her question doesn't seem to come from a place of skepticism. She appears to be just desiring some, some needed clarification. And so the angel explains to her in verse 35, look, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you. The very power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the child to be born of you will be called holy, will be called the Son of God. And we get this beautiful concept that for Mary was quite practical, but for us I think is, is, is very deep, that Mary was overshadowed, it says, overtaken, you might say covered by the presence of God. Now if you were with us this fall as we studied the book of Hebrews, we talked about the tabernacle, right, this, this tent of worship that the old covenant Israelites would gather around and how the presence of God would dwell in the, in the tabernacle, and it says in the book of Exodus that the glory of God would descend on the tabernacle like a cloud, would cover and fill the tabernacle, like overshadowing it. In fact, that's the picture that Luke gives us in his gospel. Later in his gospel, he uses the same word overshadow to describe a scene. Some of you remember this scene when Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And we call it the transfiguration where the glory of God, it was like the veil between heaven and earth was peeled back and Jesus shone with glory in his, his divinity. And it says that a cloud descended and overshadowed Jesus and his disciples because the glory of God and the presence of God was so thick and so heavy. That's what going, what's going on with Mary. She will be overshadowed. Now look, she's still there. She still has her identity. She still has her personhood. But she has been now will be overcome by the presence of God. And this, this virgin will miraculously conceive by the presence of God. And while it's a miracle, it's a miracle that work, will work through natural means. See, Jesus was not some alien baby that, that floated down out of heaven. This is Mary's biological child. Jesus was conceived in her womb, grew in her grew and developed in her amniotic fluid, came out of her just like any other baby through normal means. See, the conception was quite supernatural, but the rest of the pregnancy was very, very natural. And so Jesus has a natural human mother, but he has no biological father. His father was supernatural, a divine father and a human mother. And we've talked about how conceivably, pun intended, Conceivably, there might have been another way that God could have brought about the Savior of the world, the Son of God. But the virgin birth beautifully shows us a deep theological truth that our Savior Jesus was fully God and fully human. Jesus was conceived. He grew in the womb. And so there's no denying that he has a human nature. But he has no human father. And so there's no denying that he was the Son of God with a divine nature. And so because he was conceived by God apart from sin, he is sinless, fully God, fully human, born of a woman, son of God. This miracle, 
this miracle that we'll spend all of eternity worshiping and, and standing in awe at. And verse 36 says, you need a validation of this, Mary. You need a validation that this is going to happen. The angel says to her in verse 36, how about your relative Elizabeth, probably a cousin, uh, a woman who was much older than Mary. She is, she is barren. She is past the age of childbearing. She has no kids. But six months ago, she found out she was pregnant. And the angel says to Mary in verse 37, this beautiful, profound, life-changing reality, nothing. No thing that you can dream up, no thing that you need, no thing that God has done, no thing that you desire him to do, nothing is impossible with God. And the pregnancy of Elizabeth is meant to prove a very personal, right? God could have done some miracle, been like, there was a volcano that was going to explode and I saved a village. He says, no, no, let me, let me give you a person. Your cousin Elizabeth, you know her. You've been to visit her. I've given her a child. Nothing is impossible with God. Friends, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that big picture and small scale in your own heart that nothing is impossible? No pain, no fear, no, no grounded unbelief, no hurt, no tragedy, no bitter unforgiveness, no pain done to you, no th- thing that, that you're guilty of having done to someone else that you can't get away from. All of that can be removed. God can heal this morning. God can forgive this morning. God can adopt you and bring you into his family and give you a faith that you swore you would never believe. I will never believe in a God like that. There is nothing impossible for our great God. Mary believes. Mary believes that she has the favor of God. She believes that God is at work in and through her. She believes that nothing is impossible. And so she declares in verse 38 this profoundly faithful, exemplary statement. She, she declares, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now, I find this fascinating. This is no easy task that Mary has just agreed to. Like, pregnancy is hard enough, I'm told, right? But that just scratches the surface of what Mary has just willingly agreed to do, submitted herself to the will of God, right? Because she is not going to receive any of the special treatment, pardon me, but that moms, a lot of you rightfully deserve to have received when you were pregnant, right? Because let's be honest, as difficult as pregnancy is, at least in our culture, moms, you receive a lot of special treatment. Now, don't, don't give me too hard of a time about this because I honor you and recognize that in, in a thousand years I couldn't do what you do, right? But like when you're pregnant, you can pretty much say whatever you want, right? Nobody's going to correct you. There's a pregnant woman. Leave her alone, right? You can eat whatever you want, right? Nobody's going to bother you if it's 11 o'clock at night and you want a Big Mac, you know, with pickles and whipped cream on it. Like that's your thing. Go ahead and do it. No problem, Right? You can sit wherever you want. You walk into a room, right? All you have to do is give a certain look, and anybody in the room will get up and let you take their seat, right? You don't have to stand in line when you're pregnant, right? You just kind of do one of these or whatever. Oh, would you like to come? <laughs> My wife and I were, were uh, flying home from a wedding in Puerto Rico um, when she was pregnant with her first child, and, and I had... Uh, mismanaged getting there on time to the airport because I was in Puerto Rico and I thought, yeah, I know how to drive to the airport and we can, we can make it, you know. And um, so we get there and my wife is nervous and we arrive at the airport and, you know, there's no way we're getting on this plane, right? Just a line to check in. And so I go up to the clerk to check in and I'm like, hun, play it up a little bit, you know. So she, she does one of these, you know, she's... <laughs> I said, my wife over there, six-month pregnant. Yeah, yeah, come on up to the front. We get to the security line. Say, like, hon, you know, do your things. She's, 
I said, uh, can we get up to the front? Yes, sir, come on. I said, you know, get up to the front of security, get on the plane, right? So at least in our culture, there's special treatment. There may have been some of that in first century, you know, Judea, I'm not sure. But here's what I do know. Mary is not going to get that, right? This is what she's agreed to. Unmarried woman now finds herself pregnant, betrothed to be married. Joseph's thinking about divorcing her. She's going to have to explain what's happening to her future husband. She's going to have to deal with rumors in her small town community. She's going to have to face ridicule. When she tries to explain to herself, no, 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 dad, you don't understand. Joseph and I have not been together. You don't understand. An angel came to me. This baby's from, you imagine how that went over. Imagine how she was mocked. Imagine how she was ostracized when she walked to the well to try to get water. This is what she's signing up for. She's being asked to have a level of faith and a level of strength in her life to do something, which I'm quite certain at that point she didn't even know what she was going to have to do. She didn't know what it was going to be like the pregnancy, let alone raising Jesus, let alone when he was 30 years old and launched his public ministry. And don't forget, beyond just being ostracized and being ridiculed and having to explain to Joseph and her family and her parents and having to go through the pregnancy, then once the baby's born, now, now it's even worse because now she's got to raise the Son of God, right? Like, how do you do that? But rather than say what I feel like I probably would have said to the angel in her shoes, uh, I'm sorry, you got to be crazy. Uh-uh. Like, go find another woman. Go find someone else. No thank you. Are you sure that I'm the right one? I have no theological training, no, no, no gifting, no status in the community. Why are you coming to me? But instead, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. This, this woman is firm, is faithful, is steadfast, resolved, and she will receive God's will. She will obey God's will. She will submit to God's will, and she will walk in God's will. And we see that testimony through the rest of the Gospels. That Mary, this woman who has received the grace and the favor of God, now submits to God because she now knows and believes and is convinced that there is nothing that is impossible with God. And so she will walk in God's will. How could she do that? How could she respond with such faith? I believe it's because when you have God's calling, it is always empowered by God's spirit. Again, this woman that by earthly standards wasn't noteworthy was now overshadowed by the power and the presence of the Most High God. And what resulted was the most spectacular event to ever occur before or after all of human history. And while what happened to Mary certainly was quite unique, and I don't want to take that away from her or from the events of Scripture, you and I, too, can be filled with the power and the presence of the, of the Most High God. The Holy Spirit can come upon you and fill you. See, when you trust in Christ and you receive the grace of God, when you embrace this reality, Jesus becomes your king. This, this baby born in a manger becomes a king on a throne. And this Jesus, whose very name means the Lord's salvation, when he becomes your salvation, then the power of God is for you as well. The Holy Spirit of God fills you just as it covered and overshadowed Mary, although unique and profound for her. See, and when the Holy Spirit of God overshadows you, you too are empowered, empowered to live out your calling, no matter how overwhelming, no matter how difficult, no matter how sidelined you may feel and unable and inadequate you may feel, even to raise your own kids, to live out your own faith in your workplace, 
to be the person of Christ that God has called you to be in a difficult marriage, in in a tension-filled family, in a school where Jesus is not wanted, in a community where they're seeking to put you down. You too can be empowered to live out your calling no matter how hard it may be because, again, that's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Not because you and I are capable of living for God and walking with Him in our own strength, but because we could not, and so we needed a Savior. We needed one to come to give us the favor of God. We needed one who would call us to His kingdom work and then empower us to live out His kingdom work, to walk in obedience by His Holy Spirit. That's the only way that Mary could do it because she was full of the Holy Spirit. See, this is the joy of the incarnation of the God that became flesh, the Son of the Most High that came low, that we might receive the favor of God. You can know God, you can have His love, and you can walk with your head held high. I don't know what you're going through, I don't know what you've been told or what lies you've believed, but, but, but God has his love for you, has his favor for you. And he has a calling on your life and he will empower you to do that. And so humbly this morning, receive it. Just as Mary in humility humbly submitted herself to the will of God, to receive the grace of God, to be filled, to walk out and fulfill the calling of God on her life. Know this morning God's grace and God's love that is for you. That's why Christ came. That's why he lived and died and rose again. That's why he will one day return to truly reign as this king over the throne of David with an eternal kingdom. And so as the worship team comes, my my call to you, my exhortation to you is say, God, give me the strength to live my life with the same attitude that Mary lived, that each of us could say this morning, even as we worship, even as we close out in song, that we could proclaim to God, I am your servant, let it be done to me according to your will. And that statement of Mary's was prophetic. It was prophetic of the very child that was in her womb, who would one day say the same thing, who would one day himself, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth would one day say, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your will. And he willingly climbed up on the cross for you and I to take your sin and your pain and your punishment and your death, to die on your behalf, to rise again, raising up to new life, that you could live with God. Jesus has said this for you. He was the servant of the Lord that you could now walk with him and know God's grace. Amen? Let's stand together. Lord God, we thank you for the testimony of Scripture. We thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to us. And I pray, God, that this story, this account that we've heard this morning, whether we've heard it for the first time, or again and again, I pray that, that, that it would be new, that we would be stirred and encouraged to faith, that nothing is impossible for you, that no matter what we walked in this morning carrying, we give it to you and know that you can take it and you can heal it and you can redeem it. Whether we see immediate relief or whether we don't see relief until the day of our new life in heaven, God, we believe that you're at work. We believe that we have your favor, not because we're worthy of it, but because you're a gracious, sovereign God. And we pray even now that you would fill us and empower us to walk out our calling, even this week, to walk out our calling with our children, with our parents, with our siblings, with our coworkers. Help us to to model Christ to those around us. We worship you, Savior Jesus. We worship you, King Jesus. We worship the God who came for us. Be praised.
Come among us. Come Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name.